0: Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read part of the chapter together. We'll start reading at verse 1. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. Let's hear God's word. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, us, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, And every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy. According to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. or, Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 15. And we pray the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text this morning is taken from Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. And it says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And I've entitled this morning's message, How Best serve the Lord. You see the word serve is found 268 times in the Bible or the equivalent serving or service or served. And the first reference of course is Genesis chapter 14 verse 14. The last reference is Revelation 22 verse 3. And in between you've got 266 other references. Now this Word, of course, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's got a a wonderful meaning attached to it. And one such reference is Romans 12 and 11. So I want you to think of the phrase this morning, just underline it in your Bible, serving the Lord. Now that's wonderful by way of an exhortation, but here's the question. How do you serve the Lord? How best does someone serve the Lord? Now this is a big subject. In fact, a lot could be said about serving the Lord. We could do a whole series of messages on serving the Lord. But for now, just for today, we're thinking of one sermon that's been on my heart uh, from the two weeks that I was off in July. And I wrote down on a piece of paper, thinking of the future, thinking of ministry here, how best to serve the Lord. Now, there's three things this morning. First of all, here's how to serve the Lord remember your sonship in Christ. Now, think of the context here. Who is the apostle Paul writing to you? And the answer is simple. Born again believers. If you look at chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore brethren. Underline the word brethren. And then if you come down then to chapter 12 and verse 10, he says, Be kindly affection one to another with Brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, now, I want you to think of this free as I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. you see the apostle Paul in the first 11 chapters of Romans, have been setting forth the great doctrines of the gospel. For example, the doctrine of the universality of sin, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, the doctrine of sanctification for all whom God justifies. He also truly sanctifies. He set forth the glorious truth that all he justifies by faith alone, he adopts into his family. You've got the great doctrine of sonship. And those he adopted, of course, he elected from all eternity, and in chapters 9 and 10 and 11, we have got that great doctrine set forth. And those he ha- has chosen for salvation from all eternity, he promises to glorify, and you've got the great doctrine of glorification coming in. Now, Paul comes to the practical outworking of this doctrine, and what he's basically saying to the born-again believers In the church at Rome he's saying to them Now that you have tasted the mercies of God and salvation Here's how you are to live Here's the practical outworking Of having tasted these wonderful mercies of God You see I believe that God saved us for a purpose When you were gloriously converted, genuinely saved The Lord could have taken you home to heaven immediately Now he did that for the dying thief But he didn't for many of us Why not? Because he had saved us for a purpose And what is that purpose? That purpose is simple That purpose is service Listen to me carefully Every born again Christian has a duty And a responsibility to serve the Lord Some of you are In the throes of going into university Some may be graduating from university And one big question that people have, usually before graduating or during graduation, is what am I going to do with my life? What's the next step? Well, of course, the obvious thing is to get a job, Uh, maybe to meet someone if you haven't already met someone. uh, uh, You're thinking about getting married, maybe, and having a family, and um, maybe buying a house. Well, in that context, I want you to remember this. That you were saved by the grace of God For a purpose And that purpose is to serve the Lord And young people This is definite Young people this is one of the most important matters in your life Remember the Lord Jesus said Seek ye first the kingdom of God And his righteousness And all these other things shall be added unto you What is your chief end in life? It's to glorify God And enjoy him forever And you see it matters not only in your life, but it matters for eternity. You don't want to journey through life and end up producing wood, and stubble. You, you want more precious material than that. You don't want things that count for nothing. You don't want things that are going to be burnt up. And as I thought of this, I asked myself this question, well, Lord, What is the best and the chief motivation for service? If our purpose in saving us is to serve you, what is our motivation? And you see, the best and supreme motivation for a life of sacrificial, loving, transforming service is the mercies of God. The mercies of God is key. Think of what he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, the least you can do, and be not conform to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The key foundational basis is that you have tasted of the mercies of God. That is what Paul is doing here. He knows that the key issue to get these people to serve is to motivate them. And what's the best motivator? The best and supreme motivation for a life of sacrificial, loving, transforming service is the mercy of God. And that's what Paul is encouraging the uh, people of God at Rome to think about. He says, if you think of verse 11, and we'll come back to this, not slothful in business. In other words, not guilty of the sin of sloth, not a sluggard. Remember, the counsel of the scriptures is go to the ant, thou sluggard. Literally, don't be lazy or don't lag behind. And and here's a question, and I've challenged my own heart. Lord, does this describe me? Even though you've saved me and I've tasted of your mercies, could I be lazy? Could I be guilty of the sin of sloth? Could, Could I be a sluggard in serving you? Could could I be indifferent to the cause of Christ? Many used to be diligent. Many used to be passionate and alert. But but now they're cold and indifferent. Now they're in a a backslidden state. See, sometimes in service, people are busy doing something for God. People criticize them. People malign them. People spread rumors about them. And... uh, some people end up feeling, well, I'm not appreciated. Nobody appreciates the work that I do. Think of the long hours. Think of the work behind the scenes. And as you think of that and maybe feel like quitting and giving up, then you think of the mercy of God. Go back to that. I've been saved by the grace of God. I'm a son in the family. Remember who you are. I've experienced the the sure mercies of the Lord. You see, the the chief thing is knowing who you are guides you in knowing how to live. I belong to Him. I am Christ's child. I am Christ's son. Now, does that describe you this morning? Maybe you haven't yet trusted in Christ. Maybe you haven't yet tasted of the mercy of God. You're not a genuine child of God, you're not a true believer. Maybe you're here this morning and you can honestly say, Well, you know what? I, I, my love for him's grown cold. I, I'm in a backslidden state. I, I'm all, it's indifferent now. I'm living not to serve the Savior, I'm living to serve myself. I, I'm miserable. I, I'm not truly happy. And you see, the mercies of God call out to those who are unsaved to taste of those mercies. The mercy of God calls out to those who are cold and backslidden and say, Remember the mercies of God. Remember your sonship in Christ. That's the first lesson that I have thought about in how best to serve the Lord. The second lesson is this. Realize your servanthood in Christ. If you go back to those words, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You see, the word serving here has to do with the concept of slavery. The idea is that you're not just a volunteer. You've actually been bought, and therefore you're owned. Therefore you're a conscript. You're a slave in Christ. And you're bought and owned by the owner who is Christ. And you don't have any rights. You don't have any purpose but your owner's purpose. Remember what the Apostle Paul says if we think of these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? Listen to verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. But your God's, your body's his, your spirit is his. Now in light of that, you've got this exhortation, serving the Lord. And I'm saying this morning, purposefully, realize not only that you're a son in the family, but realize that you're a servant in the fold. And how do you serve him? Well, serve him diligently. Think of these words, not slothful in business. In other words, don't be lazy. Don't lag behind. Don't be guilty of the sin of sloth. Don't be a sluggard. If you think of the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25, verse 26, maybe we could turn to that. Listen to these words in Matthew 25, verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, I gather where I have not stowed. Thou, thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Now think of the man that was given one talent. How is he described? A wicked and slothful servant. You see, he's been lazy. He has not bothered to invest the one talent. He hasn't used the one talent. What did he do? He buried it. And what is he called? He's called a wicked and slothful servant. Parable of the talents. Three servants. One given five talents. Used the five talents and got five more. Another servant was given two talents. He did well too. He got two more when the Lord come. But the man with the one talent, he didn't use his talent. He, he buried his talent. He, he, he missed the opportunity. What is your talent? Well, we could say many things. It's health and strength, wisdom, brain power, friendships, family, food, money, opportunities. Associations, contact, school, university, work, church, the word of God, prayer, the gospel, a faithful preacher of the word of God, the Bible, knowledge of salvation. You see, God has bestowed all of these things upon you. And it's God's gifts upon you that make you who you are. And all you are and all you have are his gifts. And you have a duty and responsibility to him. You're accountable to him. So you want to use your gift. You want to use your talent to glorify God. And how do you use it? Well, you use it diligently. You don't be slothful. You don't be lazy. You don't lag behind. This is one of the ways that we can properly use the gift of talents because we want to bring honor and glory to the Lord. See what this wicked slothful servant didn't realize this was really a test of his servanthood. This was a test if he was truly a son of the father. It was a test of his conversion. It was a proof of his genuine faith because true servanthood is rooted in true sonship. If you're a son, you're a servant. Think of this wicked servant. He got a talent and he buried it. You see, what does that mean? It means the opportunity to serve the master was wasted. He thought, I can't be condemned for doing nothing. He was absolutely wrong. The master is back. And he's done nothing with his talent. And doing nothing with the talent was the very thing that condemned him. It was the sinful mission. And God has given us good gospel opportunities to serve him using the talents that he has given. And if we fail, then we'll be described as wicked. And slothful Could I illustrate this? I, I thought uh, imagine a fruit picker and he's employed for a day down County Armagh to pick apples from the tree, and he's got a box, and the trees are there laden with fruit, and the owner goes off and says, I'll be back, say at uh, six o'clock at night. So the wee fellas there say from eight o'clock in the morning, he's starting very early at ten hour day, and he's going to get well paid, he's getting a hundred pounds. So so the owner comes back and he looks at the box, and the box empty. And the wee fella hasn't picked any apples. And I asked why. Well, I didn't want to bruise any fruit. I didn't want to break off any of the branches. It was too high for me to reach up. I didn't want the fall of the ladder. And he's making all of the excuses of the day. Well, well would he get paid a hundred pound? No, he wouldn't. Would he be back the next day? No, he wouldn't. Think of a bricklayer. So we have somebody coming to build uh, the, the wall here. And it's so much a square meter. Well, well, imagine us coming, having employed the uh, stonemason and the bricklayer, and he's telling us, well, it's too hot to work, and I haven't got a mixer, and there's no cement, uh, and there's no bricks laid. Well, we're not going to be pleased. It's not going to wash. We're going to say, well, that man's no good. If he's not going to work, he's not going to get paid. Well, well you see, this is the same idea. A wicked, slothful servant, given one talent, and he's caught out by the master. His opportunity to serve, he wasted it, and he was condemned for doing nothing, and here was a test, a test of his conversion, and he failed the test. You see, the man who doesn't want to serve the Lord in some way and in some capacity, well, that man's not genuinely converted he may have got religion, he may have made a decision, but if he doesn't use all that God has given him, then he hasn't got a new heart. He doesn't love the Lord supremely. He's a stranger to the Lord. The serving is proof that he's saved. The Lord Jesus is not a hard taskmaster. He's loving, he's kind, he's gentle, he's good, and it is possible for a Christian to live in the enjoyment of the blessing of the Lord and magnify the cross of Christ and magnify the Christ of the cross. Serve him diligently. Notice also, if you go back to Romans, serve him passionately. Look at these words, fervent in spirit. Now, we'll pause there. The word spirit, of course, the commentators tell us could refer to a human spirit. Others say it refers to the Holy Spirit, even though it hasn't got a capital letter. I I like to think that it's both. The human spirit is only set on fire, burning with love for the Lord and his cause, as we're exercised and energized by the Holy Spirit of God. Fervent in spirit. Our spirit being set on fire for the Lord. True believers are to be passionate and burning In their heart and life with love to the Lord. See the word fervent here. It means to boil. It means to bubble up. The true believer is to be full of a holy passionate zeal for the Lord. It was J.C. Ryle that said. Zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God. Have you a burning desire to please God? To do his will? Do you have a burning desire to advance his glory in every possible way? I want you to think for a moment of Jim Elliott. He was martyred in Ecuador. He was aged 28 at the Oca Indians. His wife Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book through Gates of Splendor. There was four other men murdered along with her husband Jim. Her husband Jim had a saying, and she wrote it down in the book, and I read it to you. Wherever you are, be all there. Live in the hilt to every situation you believe to be the will of God. That's total commitment. The the great Jonathan Edwards saw revival in New England. He had 70 resolutions to live by. Seventy. Some of us can't keep one. um, Thinking of no one in particular. Myself. But he had 70. And here was the sixth one. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. You see... Serving them passionately with a burning, passionate, hot, holy zeal, it's not natural to us. It's not something inherent to us. This has nothing to do with personality types. We're all different. Some are shy and timid. Uh, Some are more outgoing, maybe more forward. But it has to do with what you're passionate about. What, what, what excites you? What gets you up in the morning? And Paul's argument is, here's what should get us up in the morning. The, the, Jesus Christ and his personal work. The gospel, the mercies of God, should, should make us boil up. Remember what he says there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Over there in John's gospel, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, and we read in verse 9, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent the Son to be the propitiation for us. We love him, because he first loved us. Think of John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And these words, fervent and spirit, are written in the context of love. True love is not a false love. Listen to what Paul says. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. You see, true love is not false. Sadly today, the LGBT group have perverted True love. They have a form of love that's really a false love. When Paul says, let love be without dissimulation, what he meant was, let love be without hypocrisy. True love extends then to all the brethren. True love hates sin. True love refuses and rejects heresy and error. It refrains from embracing error and immorality. And true love loves the Lord supremely. It's it's true love filling the heart. No true love isn't dead. True love's alive. But it affects every part and area of our life. Remember Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, For the love of Christ constraineth me. In other words, it doesn't hold me back. The love of Christ constrains me to do what I'm doing. Suffer all that I'm suffering. You see, if we love him, We will labor for him in love. And it will impact upon every aspect and part of our life. And if you profess his name this morning. If you say I love you Lord. What you're really saying is I love you supremely. I love you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I love you Lord. And I've got no love for sin. I've got a hatred for sin. I've got no desire for sin. I've got no time for sin in the ways of the world. Because true service is is the outworking of a passionate heart of burning love. Don't be slothful, he's saying. Don't drag your heels. Don't don't do the work of God reluctantly. Be bubbling with energy. Be fired up because of love. Be enthusiastic. Be energetic. Be evangelistic. The great John Knox, when he was in the closing days of his life, used to be helped to the pulpit in a physical manner, But when he preached, people said, I quote, he's so mighty in yearning for the lost, pleading with sinners to repent and receive Christ. It's as if his heart is on fire. That's what we're talking about. Heart on fire. Not cold, not carnal, not careless, but full of passionate zeal. A heart in love, a heart in fire for the Lord. We live in a When there's a battle going on against sin and Satan, we have to battle in a sense for the Savior and the souls of men. And we've got to serve Him passionately, very quickly. We've got to serve Him urgently. Think of the words serving, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving. See the word business there, underline that. It has to do with diligence. The king's business, the Bible says, requireth haste. You see, serve him now. The only time you have is now. Remember, you serve the Lord Christ, and you're serving a loving, caring master. Sadly, there's far too many serve sin and the devil. And the devil is a callous, cruel, self-serving tyrant of a master. But you serve the Lord now, because this is the only time you're sure of. This is the time that he has given. Serving the Lord is wise, serving the Lord as right and good in light of life's brevity, in light of the certainty of death, in light of the enormity of eternity. Don't be slack, don't be slow, don't be putting it off to tomorrow, be swift, do it now. You see, the idea is of not slothful, but, but speediness. A man asked the question one time, how long have I to live? Do you know that an average man only live to their 79 years of age if any man's over 79 god bless you the lord is good and he's been good to you at this moment women live there a wee bit longer don't ask me why but according to the statisticians women live to their 83 but you see it's wise to say this that the night is coming Remember the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse 4 whenever he was thinking about the work of God he said this I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day the night cometh when no man can work. And it's critical you take every opportunity and you do it now to your loved ones to your friends to to your family. The Apostle Paul only had one opportunity to speak to King Agrippa and he didn't miss Don't we often feel that we've missed an opportunity? We've often failed to speak a word for the Lord. And I want to say to you this morning this. Encourage others to come to the house of God. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see the church well filled up again. Encourage others to come to a Sabbath day service. Encourage others to come to the prayer meeting. Encourage others to help with the children's ministry, the Sunday school, the youth fellowship, the outreach. Let's encourage one another to push out into the open air to, to, to do door-to-door work I was speaking to the postman not so long ago And he says the problem with too many churches is we have information drops We stick leaflets through the door and we run away But we never think of the people behind the door We never stop to knock To, to speak a word in season To speak face-to-face Let me tell you this story True story Dr. Torrey, Dr. Alexander They're in Brighton in England They're having a meal The waiter's served them Doctor Torrey's burden to speak to the waiter. He didn't know him. The waiter didn't recognise the preacher. But the preacher felt it's not the right time. It's not the right place. Not not the right opportunity. So they ate the meal, they said nothing, they paid the bill, and they stood outside. Twenty minutes passed and They were still there and the owner thought that's a bit strange those two men are standing there for 20 minutes So he went out and he says is everything okay? Can I help you? He thought maybe they wanted to get a taxi or or get uh, some sort of transport Dr. Torrey says no, is it be possible to speak to your waiter? The waiter that served us at the table, you know what the man said you can't Why not? You'll never speak to him again But sure we didn't speak to him before. Well, we've had a bit of a rye in the kitchen And the man has just went outside the back and he shot himself dead. Dr. Torrey was broken. A missed opportunity. And I've had missed opportunities like that. To to speak to someone and felt constrained and then something else happened or the phone rang or, or there was some interruption, and then the opportunity has been gone. Tomorrow, it's too late. How many of us as Christians are guilty of missed opportunities? Tomorrow we'll do this. I'll visit that home. I'll speak to that soul. But tomorrow is too late It gets harder tomorrow Do it now Bring our loved ones under the sound of the gospel Very quickly Serve them humbly If you think of the word serving again It has to do with The bond servant A slave and a loving relationship to his master Serving him Out of love no task is too lowly. No task is too difficult. No task is too dangerous. No task is too hard. No, no task is beneath him. A wee cleaner lady one day in New York was scrubbing the steps of a great doctor, a man called Dr. Brown, and somebody came past her and said, knowing her by name, Martha, is that not a bit beneath you? And she says, no, I'm not doing this for Dr. Brown. I'm doing this for Dr. Jesus. You see, there's a difference, isn't there? Serving him humbly. What about serving him prayerfully? In the context here, if you think of the words it mentions in verse 12, continuing instant in prayer. The idea is of a a hunting dog on the scent of an animal. Think of a bloodhound going, going after a fox or a hare. It's not going to stop. It's not going to give up. It's not going to quit. It's going to carry on until it achieves its objective. And that's the thought. Being continuing instant in prayer. Praying on. Praying through. Waiting till the answer comes. You're going to face obstacles and delays and there'll be setbacks and there'll be times when you'll feel God is indifferent and you've been praying for weeks and months and years about a thing. Have you been doing that for a loved one maybe? A wife, a husband, a young person? And you think, what's the point? Well, let's continue instant in prayer, not give up, pray on, stand in the promises, plead the blood because God will eventually hear. He has already heard. God will answer prayer. Very quickly, notice the words rejoicing in hope. We're to serve him joyfully. The hope here is sure and certain. The hope of our reigning Christ. He's reigning now. He's on the throne. Do you believe that? The, the, the hope of a resurrected Christ, the tomb is empty. He's victorious. We can enter into his victory. What, what about the hope of oh, a returning Christ? He's coming back again. That's sure and certain. We can rejoice in hope, no matter the circumstances are hard and, and difficult. Do you know also we can serve him financially? Looking at verse 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. You you think of finances for a moment And I have to be careful here Don't get sidetracked But you you think of how we're taxed by the government Income tax We all have to pay that 20p in the pound And we earn over so much Forget what it is 45,000 You pay 45% Think of national insurance We all have to pay it 12% VAT VAT And almost every good that we buy At 20% If you or left something you could be at a certain threshold have to pay inheritance tax and if you invest your money in something you have to pay a capital gains tax you think of how little the government really gives and how much the government really takes remember what the lord jesus said and i quote He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You see, the Lord Jesus gives a great reward. Now in time, in eternity, if you give a cup of cold water, he says in my name, he'll reward you. He gives a sure reward, a good return to every servant. He gives a return for every service, little as much when God is in it. Remember the Reverend George White teaching me that God had a bigger shovel than we had. We don't give to get, but God gives back when we give willingly and joyfully and gladly to him. We serve him unitedly. All believers were called upon to serve the Lord, not just the pastor, the church elders, the full-time workers. If you think of our human body, there's no non-serving members of the human body. That's Paul's argument here, Romans chapter 12, verses 4 to 8. Every part of the body works to serve the rest of the body. And what is true for the human body is true of the body of Christ. We're all bought by the Christ. We're all his. It's not our time, it's not our money, it's not our career, it's not our families, it's not our food. It's, it's his. We have a duty and responsibility to serve him and to serve one another. We serve him patiently. He mentions here patient in tribulation. Think of these words. A tremendous concept here. We're going to face tribulation, trials, persecution, opposition, hardship. Service is never easy. There's struggles, there's tears There's going to be strain in relationships. There's going to be difficulty. But we we need patience. It's tribulation that worketh patience. Lord, teach me to serve you patiently. I had one final thing this morning that I want to leave with you. And it's this not only remember your sonship in Christ, and not only realize your servanthood in Christ, but rejoice in your saintliness in Christ. Notice this as we finish. Bless them which pursue you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. See, what is that all about? Loving one another, serving one another, bearing one another's burdens, praying one for another, honoring one another. The, the idea behind this is be like Christ. Be Christ-like in your behaviour. Toward sinners, toward the saints in the house of God, toward the souls of men. Let me close with this thought from this cartoon. Think of a woman in bed, just full of pain. We don't know what the, the pain was. But another woman comes to the house to visit her. There's a sink full of dirty dishes, there's a basket full of unwashed clothes, there's another pile of ironing that needs to be done. Two children, they're fighting in the corner, upon the head of each other, crying. It's obvious they need a bath. They need to be cleaned up. They haven't been fed. The cat, will let us spill milk over the floor and it's licking it up from a dish. There's a woman in the doorway. She's come to visit this other woman and we'll call her Mary. I, 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 I've just called to see ye. Okay, what about ye, Florence? I'm thinking about ye. Well, Florence, if there's anything you need or anything I can do to help, don't hesitate to let me know. And away she goes. Now, do you get the picture? And you see, if that's the picture of the local church, then that's a very poor picture of the local church. That has not been like Christ. Because Christ is the great friend of all. Christ was one who was totally committed to the work that God the Father had given him to do. And we need a commitment like Christ. And that's the commitment that we want and desire as we move into the autumn and in the winter work here in Carrie Duff FPC. Don't say if there's anything I can do to help. Roll up the sleeves and say, I've come to help. What can I do for the Lord? Tell me. You see, don't be committed just when it's convenient. Be committed like Christ. Even to the point you're blessing them that persecute you. You're blessing them that curse you. You're praising your foes. You're praying for them. You're speaking good things about them. See, the best way to conquer is love and kindness and mercy, prayer, being like Christ toward others. Rejoice in your saintliness in Christ. That's the best way, the only way, the right way, the scriptural way to serve the Lord. Remember, you're saved to serve. Remember, you're just but a a servant. And remember, you've got to serve like Christ. Oh, that we will discover the secret of how best to serve the Lord. Thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for listening.